0: It is amazing as we consider all that we've been blessed with as followers of the true and the living Lord that He's given us a joy unspeakable. He does not leave us in frustration or anxiety. He gives us peace. He lets us understand that we can overcome the struggles in this life. He doesn't say that they won't hurt. It doesn't say that we won't go through pain and and difficulty. But He tells us that we are conforming to the image of His Son. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. and He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. I get frustrated with some of my friends that are hyper-Calvinistic and they say that Jesus only died for the elect, for those who would accept the gift of salvation. No, Jesus, Jesus didn't just die for them. He died to kill the sin nature in the world. He wanted to set right creation as it had been fouled and destroyed by Satan himself. And he's done that. And because of that, we have that hope there's a strange hobby that people pick up today, and I'm always fascinated with people's hobbies, but one that is horrible that many Christians pick up is this, and that's of collecting sin and never confessing it. Some people have a hard time admitting that they're sinners, and you know, here's the sad news, we're all sinners, every one of us. We have different gradients and qualities and quantities of sins, but sin is sin, and it doesn't matter really how much you sin, the fact that you're a sinner means that you're lost. God doesn't count sin. He clarifies that we have a way to get away from it. We count sin. We identify people's sin as being worse than others' sin, but the reality is sin is sin. Our society wants to point out certain sins and even today in the, in the popular media that doesn't believe in God, the Bible, or Christianity, they love to point out sin. But the reality is they don't offer a forgiveness for it and they certainly don't offer a way to live victorious within it. We've got to remember that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and for us to confess them. I've told you before that when I speak with young people about their salvation, and often they'll come forward at some point, uh, either vacation Bible school or, or they may be in a mission friends program or in Sunday school, and, they'll, and they made the decision, they believe they're ready to accept Jesus as their Savior. And I always talk with them alone to find out a little bit about where they are and what they understand. And the question I always ask them is this, once they can explain that, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and once they can explain that they have to admit they're a sinner and confess that they're a sinner and then ask for His forgiveness, they're saved. And I always ask them this question. I say, well, do you still sin after you've been saved? And what do you do about it? And if they can tell me that yes, I still sin and it's frustrating, but I'm continuing to work to do better to move closer to Christ then I know they get it there's some adults that don't get that that don't understand it they feel like they're put in a position of of almost perfection once they're saved and they go about judging we're in no situation to judge anyone we're to love people if you want to describe humanity in a courtroom sense you can say that we're all chained and prepared to go to hell. All of us are sinners. The judge is standing there, yet he has given the greatest gift to forgive us, his son. We're not in a position to judge anybody. We're not the prosecuting attorney. We're certainly not the judge of anyone. The only person that we can draw a conclusion about their life is our own. And then only when we're on our knees, praying, and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit guide us. I had the privilege of growing up around a very precious lady, Kay Arthur. And I had the privilege in the 70s to help work summers with her building her wonderful program, Reach Out Ranch, which is in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, Her precept ministries have touched people around the world. She continues to minister at an age when most people would be retired or moved on to glory. God bless K. Arthur. She said one time, and this always got to me, she never spoke that I, I was not absolutely touched because it was obvious the Holy Spirit spoke through her. She said, if you tolerate sin in your life, that sin will not only take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you wanted to stay and it will cost you more than you ever could have paid. That's why we have to confess our sins. That's why we have to let go of it. We can't stand at the back of the pool of friends and say, well, I don't want to be the first one to confess my sins because people will think less of me. That's simply not true. People will think more of you when you confess your sins, when you identify that you're human just as they are, that you go through the same struggles. When pastors are found and qualified. It has nothing to do with their sinlessness. It has to do with their understanding of forgiveness and their own forgiveness. The sinful nature is there. I am privileged to know that in a few weeks we'll be ordaining two new deacons in the life of our church. And, and I told one of them the other day in a conversation we had this. And Noopy, and if you remember, I told you the same thing when you were called to be a deacon. And Nupi called me up. I went to his house, and I don't mind saying he cried. He was, he, he was nervous. He took it seriously, which is what we're supposed to do. And he said, I'm just not qualified to be a deacon. And this, this candidate told me the other day that. And I said, you know what the first qualification, scripturally speaking, is to be a deacon? To not feel worthy. Because none of us are worthy to serve in his kingdom. And when you tell me that I'm not worthy to do that, I say, good. You're, you're starting at the right point. None of us are worthy, but the fact that we've been forgiven and we've been qualified to serve Him is so important. The Apostle John, and this is basically my entire sermon, is three points that the, I didn't create them. The Apostle John did, and there isn't a poem at the end, by the way. And I may not end, my voice is going. This happens every year when we go from, well, we think we're going from summer to fall. We don't know, do we, Jeff? You know, it it changes sometimes three times in one day here in Selma. We don't know what to wear, do we? But the reality is my voice decided to go when it thought the fall was coming, so bear with me. The Apostle John has a simple method dealing with sin. Number one, admit it. Number two, confess it. And I love number three, get over it. Don't dwell on it. Move on. The reality is sometimes we forget that. The first and most important thing we should do with our sin is admit that you have the continuing bout with sin. We all do. We struggle with it. Some people try to create the image of perfection in what they do. And and we've all seen the preachers, and especially the TV preachers, that try to create that image or uh, idea of that. The only problem is you put a bullseye on yourself when you do that. And suddenly you're in a situation where you're a standard. Be confessional. Let others know that you're sinful. You're not perfect. You make mistakes, and you will continue to make mistakes. And you struggle with that. Yet day by day, you're making headway. A little bit at a time. Some days, it seems like you slide backward for several weeks and you lose ground. Don't be discouraged. That's a part of the human predicament. Gina's not here. She's gone over with the kids doing a much better sermon than I am right now. and Certainly, they're having better snacks than we'll have. But... Gina and I were talking this morning. I've been praying for her because Gina's gone through just a whole series of health issues and her family and and struggles. And I reminded her, I said, Gina, you know when all this started? It started about eight months ago when you said that you felt God was calling you to full-time Christian service in children's ministry. I said, Satan decided... That he would do everything to hinder you from that. And I said, dear lady, the reason he did is because he sees what we see. A woman that loves children, but loves Jesus more. And you give them Jesus in such a special way. And Satan can see the work that you'll do. And he's fighting you with every effort he has. And I said, but be of good cheer. He's already won the battle. And you're going to get through it. I want to always be someone that Satan is aggravated with. I want to be someone who's looking at Jesus and not paying attention to evil. I want to be someone that understands who's called me and who's qualified me and who's prepared me. But I want you to think about this. The writer says, if we claim we have no sin, and I want to think about that for a moment. If if we're honest and have any understanding of human nature, we're willing to admit that we're sinners. We all are. Have you ever noticed when somebody's caught in something they've either done or said and everything, and, and what, is the, what is the usual routine thing today people say when they're caught? They'll say, well, everybody makes mistakes. You know, sometimes when I hear that, I'll say, wow, I never thought about that, you know. Wow, that's, that's deep. No, we all make mistakes. But what you do is when you're caught in something like that, confess it. You confess to your Father who can forgive you, but you confess to others. People respect you when you understand who and what you are. When you make mistakes, it's a part of life. And don't be unrealistic about life. You're going to make mistakes. The important thing is, do you learn from your mistakes and do you change? If you don't recognize your mistakes, you're never going to learn. The old joke about Moses took 40 years to find the promised land is because he wouldn't stop and ask for directions. You've heard that before. You know, men have that problem. We have a hard time admitting we're wrong. I mean, the only thing that's protected the self-respect of most men behind the steering wheel as a GPS. Thank God for it. I'm sure a man invented it because it protected us many times that we were going down the road the wrong way. No one wanted to admit that they were going the wrong way. But sin makes us do that. We go the wrong way. And we need to be quick, quick to identify that and quick to say, I was wrong, forgive me, and then turn around and go the right way. The reality of life is That we don't want to admit sometimes that we're sinful. We want to think that when we're grown, we're grown and we don't make mistakes. But the reality is we will continue to make mistakes all of our life. We don't like it when people point out our mistakes. Because people do that for varying reasons. Some people do it because they love us and they're our friends. And they want to help us along. But others do it because the only way they can stand tall is to put other people down. Well, you know what? Don't worry about that. Pray for that person. Encourage that person. Be friends with that person. Help that person through that valley because they're in a situation where they need a friend. They don't understand how great a salvation we've received. There are a lot of folks who don't want to talk about their sin. It hurts them. But it doesn't hurt them enough to change And they continue to sin. There's an expression in the modern vernacular that a lot of young people and people my age use. And it's kind of a common thing across the board, not just with Christians, but with all people. The phrase goes like this, when somebody says something about a standard, they'll say, don't judge me. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds real pious and righteous. But the reality is, if we are truly growing people, will make judgment calls every day. If you go to the lunchroom and you and you, you decided to, to drink the, the, the pink milk uh, with the spaghetti and it made you sick, guess what you ought to do the next time around? Get water. That's a judgment call. If you go to work when the the sun's not shining just so, and you decide to leave your umbrella at home, and you come home soaking wet that night, hopefully you'll make a judgment call to not do that again. To Be prepared. We need to judge ourselves. No other people can judge us, and it really doesn't matter. They don't have the authority to execute judgment. A judge is someone not only with the authority to look at someone, to assess a situation, and then make a judgment, but to execute that judgment, to carry out that judgment. Don't ever let time make that decision for you. Make sure you make that decision. Make sure you determine how you change, if you change and when you change. I've told you before, the greatest insult you can pay a Christian that you've known for many years is to look at him and say, you know, you hadn't changed a bit in 40 years. That's horrible. As a Christian, you should change constantly. You should become sweeter and kinder, more forgiving, more loving. You should broaden the circle of friends that you have to draw new ones in to reach them for Christ and and you should take those friends you've had for many many years the ones that I call comfort friends the ones that's easy to be around you don't have to really do or be anything those are the people you need to equip and send out to create their own circle of friends and you need to continue to make a new circle of friends bringing in people that don't know Jesus Jesus was our example He hung around with some pretty rough folks, didn't he? He didn't care. That's who he loved. The Pharisees thought that he was just a horrible person. He hung around people that drank wine. Isn't that horrible? But you know what? He was around people that he felt had not encountered him and that needed him. And he loved them. He was there for them. Sometimes we want our friends to be qualified to be our friends. We want them to be on a special escrow account with church. We want them to be religious by our standard of religion. We want them to move in our socioeconomic circles. Can I tell you something? That is the most ungodly attitude you can have. Jesus had compassion on the leper as much as he did the prince. He loved the broken people like he loved the confused, powerful people. And we've got to learn to draw people into our circle and love them. Because here's the sad truth. We're going to be asked one day by the judge, God himself, what did you do with the name of my son Jesus? And I gave to die for you so you could be here. What did you do with His name? Did you just hold it to yourself and hide it? Or did you offer it to those who needed it? Were you a word of encouragement to somebody? Or were you a shield that kept them away from hope and help? We have much to answer for one day. We've got to realize this. The truth is that we are all sinners and we're in need of a Savior. And to think otherwise is foolish. That's what John is saying here in verse 8. If if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And we're not living in truth. John exposes another faulty doctrine here that I I, I believe we often overlook. And, and, And there are those who believe that having been redeemed, they don't sin anymore. What they do is perfect. No, we continue to sin. There's a serious form of self-deception going on today that results in spiritual frustration and defeat. If you walk around and think that you don't sin, and you never confess your sin, there is a distance put between you and God. And it's not that you can't pray. Yeah, you can pray. You can always pray. But it's not just prayer. It's guidance. Do you hear God back? You see, there, when you continue to sin and you don't confess your sin, or you have a difference with a brother and sister in Christ, you are not going to clearly hear. The not, problem's not with God. It's with you. You're not going to clearly hear the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's muddled in a head that's more focused on sin and protecting your pride than it is on a clear channel of understanding the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I've seen that lately. Matthew 18, which is one of the many scriptures that's mentioned in every church, constitution, of every Baptist church I've ever pastored. Matthew 18 is very plain about when there's a difference between a brother and sister in Christ. And let me explain what that means. That doesn't mean that, that even if we have a difference, if, you know, if, if Murray decides to play something that I don't like and I get my feelings hurt with him, that could be a difference. Although, you haven't done it yet, Murray. And uh, I tell you, you, you impress me. You really do. You, you, you have a very wide portfolio of music interests, and I'm glad. Thank you for that. But difference could be some, something different. I, you know, I could hear I could hear that Jeff did something that was unchristian. There's only one answer for how I should deal with that. Doesn't mean I go to the choir and go over here and say, Terry, did you hear about what Jeff did? Ty, did you hear? No, no, no. I go right to Jeff. Jeff and I, by the way, Jeff and I have a great relationship. Do we not? We talk. I mean, And by the way, we did not know each other growing up. That rumor is still, you know, there's the urban legend that's going around, and we didn't. We, we lived in the same environment just at different times. But he and I talk. We've had issues that have happened like that, where, where, where people wanted to get in between us and say things and, and quote me and quote him to, to each other. And you know what we did? We settled it like that. We went to one another. Make sure that you follow Matthew 18. Make sure that if someone says something to you about someone else, go to them. Because can I tell you what's happening? That person is not stating a misnomer. And, and, you know, who knows for whatever reason they're doing that? Because can I shock you with something? Please be calm. Don't let your heart get out of control. But people lie. And they say things sometimes that, you know, and we've, we've all said things, and after we said them, we thought, you know, well, maybe I should have clarified that, or maybe I should have. You know, people will do that. But what we've got to do is we've got to go back to the person that we're getting wound up about and say, look, this is what I've been told. Tell me, is it true? It's amazing that in our form of jurisprudence, and I'm looking at two lawyers right here and. and You are innocent until proven guilty in our legal system. But not so much in church. I think our legal system's got it right, and I think church has got it wrong. We need to to learn to forgive one another. In fact, the reality is, even if someone wrongs you, you're supposed to forgive them right away. But don't judge people that way. These things are what stands between us and living the life we should live These are some of the unconfessed sins. God wants us to be free. Remember, the power of the church is not vested in the pastors. It's vested in the members in the pew. The seven churches in Asia that were spoken to by the angels and were condemned had nothing to do with what the preachers were doing. It had to do with what the membership was doing. I've told you before that if if you saw this as a a theater or a stage here, you're not seeing it as God sees it. Soren Kierkegaard put it so beautifully, that Danish theologian that died in, I believe, in his late 30s or early 40s. he He was such a genius. He said, the stage that God is observing is not the pastor in the pulpit. The stage is you sitting in church. God is the audience. And he's watching you. You know what he's listening for? He's listening for your thoughts. You know, are you sitting here saying, well, that's a good point the preacher made, or I've never thought about it that way. Are you thinking, oh, should we have roast beef or turkey for dinner tonight? Or, you know, when do we need to invite the grands over? You know, if your mind is a thousand miles away, then I can tell you that you are allowing Satan to drag you away from what you should do. God is listening to your thoughts. Just like Jesus listened to the thoughts of those He encountered. Read Scripture. He never answered what they asked. He always answered what they were thinking. Because He knew that as a man thinks in his heart, so is He. It's not what He says. It's what He thinks. (coughs) We've got to understand... That when we claim that we've been cleansed of sin, we've got to demonstrate it to people. This is water. By the way, I tried something different last night to clear up my throat. A very unbaptist liquid that my mother told me about when I was a young boy. (coughs) That you mixed honey and lemon with, and you sip just a little bit. You know what? It worked. I slept eight hours last night and woke up with this. So it doesn't really work. It just helps you to sleep. But pray for me. I've got to get rid of this. They claim they didn't need to be cleansed of sin, some people. They felt that they were okay. But they forgot the importance of demonstrating to those round about them of the power of forgiveness. Secondly, realize this. If we see our sin as God does then we're going to change. You know, Scripture says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But the the key to that passage is the word confess. The word confessed in the Greek does not mean confess like we did. I mean it would be like if Terry said, Who moved my Bible from there? I said, Terry, I confess I moved it. That's not what it means. The word confess here means that you see the sin as God sees it. You see the harm that it does. You see the brokenness that it causes. You you see the destruction that was wielded upon creation by sin. You have to see it as He does. If you see sin as God sees it, you're not going to struggle with sin for long. You're going to overcome it. You're going to become victorious. The bad news is that we're all sinners and deserve God's judgment, but the good news is forgiveness is there if we will access it. There's nothing that we can do on our own to fix the problem. We're all sinners. We're all headed to hell. When we're forgiven, we're not given a ticket to heaven. No, we're given a relationship with the one who gained access to heaven. That relationship begins now. It matters Over the course of 11 half years here, many times I've turned into a number of papers in the obituary column, and I read a name of somebody that i would never heard of that said they were a lifelong member of First Baptist Church Selma. You've seen that before too, hadn't you? Now, I've got access to something that y'all don't have access to. I know where all the records of the members are. Not just the ones who are members now, but going all the way back. All the way back, way back, before the 1900s. And I've looked back and I can't find a clue that some of those people were ever in this church. But they made sure, somebody made sure that it was stated they were a member of this church. Now what's fearful to me is that there's some folks that say that they're a child of God and they're going to get to heaven and they're going to look and say, no, you're not a child of God. In fact, Jesus said that many shall say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we, you know, work for the WMU and weren't we deacons and didn't we teach Sunday school and didn't we go on vacation Bible school activities? Didn't we do all these things? And he's going to say, apart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. We've got to realize that a relationship matters, and it begins not just with what we do, but what was done for us that we could not do. Anything you do for God should be out of a love for the fact that He did for you what you could not do for yourself. Jesus came to earth and went to the cross for us. Because of that, we have an opportunity to go out into the world And to be the hands and feet of Jesus for others. And we're trusted to do that. We're not threatened to do that. We're not scourged if we don't do that. No, we're trusted. In the community that I served in, in middle Georgia, in Zebulun, there's a fruit stand there. Been on the side of the road for many years. An old man worked that fruit stand who had polio when he was very young. And he was not able to farm But he kept a garden, and his garden, he literally would work from his wheelchair. It was the most remarkable garden because it's the only one I've ever seen that in between each furrow was a path about maybe 36 inches wide that was hard dirt that he would never plow up, that his wheelchair would move down, and he had a hoe that was extra long. I think it was 10 feet long, and he would clean that garden up and take care of it, and he would put the vegetables out there. Well, by the time that he was tending to his garden, and it was a large garden, about eight or ten acres, he was too exhausted to sit out there, and so there was a picture of him at the fruit stand, smiling, and it said, God trusts you to be honest and put your money in the box when you get something. You know, it was funny, I asked him one day, I said, Billy... I said, did you ever get shorted in that box? Did you ever end up at the end of a day or end of a weekend? And he said, preacher, he said, we live in a community of godly people. I said, really? He said, you know what? I always have more money than I should have had. He said, that's how I know that God has blessed us with wonderful people here. I think that is so true, and that's what God expects of us. He wants us to be that kind of person. He wants us to be faithful like that. He wants us to understand His Word and to follow Him. To read His Word daily and to pray to Him. And not just pray to Him, but listen to Him. We can talk to anybody and tell them what we want, but if we don't listen to their guidance, we'll never learn. And many of us do that. We tell God what we want and we walk away and we never let Him speak to us. There's an old story of a man who was walking at night and he saw another man searching around a lamppost in his town and the man was down on his knees feverishly looking all around in the circle. And he says, sir, have you lost something? He said, yes, I have. He said, I've lost a very important key that I've got to have to get into work tomorrow morning and I dropped it. He said, where exactly did you drop it? He said, well, actually, I dropped it over there, I believe. And he said, Then why are you looking here? And he said, Well, this is the only place I have any illumination. I can't see over there. That sounds silly, doesn't it? But that's what we do many times. We don't let God's Word illuminate our path. And we go looking in all the wrong places for solutions. Get into God's Word, understand that you're broken and that you're a sinner. Don't apologize for it. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Admit it. When people tell me they don't believe in Christianity because it's nothing but a crutch, I always tell them, I agree with you. It's a crutch because we're broken. And until you realize you're broken, you're never going to come to understand your potential in Christ. Many people think they're going to set the world on fire either coming out of high school or out of college, and they think they're the end-all and be-all of what should be out there. And then suddenly, reality hits them in the face, and they see the same thing we all know. that Sometimes life is cruel and unkind. Sometimes it throws you down and never lets you back up. Sometimes things happen that should not have happened but do happen. And without Christ, you're just another victim on the side of the road. But with Him, you understand the importance of what God has for you. Without Christ, the Apostle Paul could have said, I've been sidelined in prison here, and I can do nothing till I'm set free. But because he was in Christ, he believed that God had placed him there for a purpose. And so guess what he had? He had the perfect examples before him and the jailers. He had the perfect environment to write, and he wrote several of the the epistles from jail. And thirdly, he, he had an audience to hear about Jesus that could not get away. He had a prison ministry. And so often in life, we want the perfect environment before we serve God. Don't wait for the perfect environment. Begin to serve Him, and God will bring you the perfection you need. And He will perfect through you what He wants to accomplish. I pray that you'll never forget the importance of what He's doing in your life. And don't pick up that dreadful hobby. Learn to let go of your sin. To confess it, to forsake it, and then to move on. Let us pray. Father, I thank You so much that You and Your Holy Word give us power. As we fellowship with You, we are changed. And we all need to change. We need to grow closer to You. We need to be humbled by You. We need to see the brokenness in the world and have compassion on the world. We need to understand that we are not there as rubberneckers in life. We're the ones there to fix it. We are the ones that can change what's going on. God, I pray that You would speak to someone this morning that needs to understand fully and totally what you call them to do. For each member of this church is a minister. And the ministry that they fulfill is so important that without them, it will never be accomplished. Lord, speak to someone just now. Someone that needs to set their heart and their affections upon you. And not worry about the words of the world. Father, bless us now and may we be found faithful in this time of invitation. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.